Hey friends, it's Ann West. What follows is a conversation with Doug Dunbar of Eastern Maine Development Corporation. This conversation is an amazing story of Doug's own recovery and then morphs into a discussion of the workforce development plan that EMDC is administering for people, including those on DRL Stonington. We are still recording all these episodes in the pandemic via Zoom, so you will notice some dips in the conversation because of internet connectivity. I apologize for the interruptions, but this conversation was just so good, I didn't want to edit it and lose even a second. Thanks for understanding. Hello and welcome to the Just for the Health of It podcast. I'm Ann West, Executive Director of the Island Health and Wellness Foundation. And today I'm having a conversation with Doug Dunbar, Eastern Maine Development Corporation's Recovery and Reentry Workforce Specialist. As always, this conversation is not intended to serve as any type of medical or healthcare advice. It's just for educational purposes, and we always have fun along the way. So with that, let's jump into our conversation. Doug, tell me who you are, where you work, and what you do. Well, thanks, Anne. Yeah, I work at Eastern Maine Development Corporation. It's headquartered in Bangor, but uh, it provides services these days to much of the state of Maine. It is a nonprofit economic, economic development organization. It assists uh, entrepreneurs, small businesses, communities, and individual workers. And I'm with the uh, Workforce Development Division. And we try our very best to help uh, individuals who may have had barriers or challenges in their life to get connected with education, training, and ultimately meaningful employment. So I came to this work um, through my own recovery uh, from um, alcoholism. And um, we can talk more about, about that if you'd like, but um, I was given a sort of a second chance. My first career in government ended uh, when I went to jail as a result, in a, in a, in a sense, of uh, my addiction and the poor choices that it led to. Um, but because I had worked in a, a previous life with uh, the current CEO and president of Eastern Maine Development Corpor Corporation, Lee Humphrey, he gave me a chance to uh, be part of the Workforce Development Division and to help people in recovery and those reentering from jails and prisons to um, make progress in life through education, training, and employment. And we are so glad that that happened. Um, I've heard your story and I, I would love to have you share it with our listeners. Um, I think it's, it's a story of hope and a, definitely a story of recovery, but I think it's a really important piece when people are looking at the work you do to understand how you came to do this work. So back us all the way up as far as you would like to and, and just tell us your story of recovery. Well, um, my story really begins in, in, in my earliest recollections as, as a child. I experienced and really suffered from two mental illnesses that I told not a soul about, not my parents, not my two sisters. We were a very close loving family but I just couldn't bring myself to tell them that I suffered from obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD, and anxiety. And they manifested themselves every day of my life 
just one example that I give people is that to start my day, it might have taken me, you know, 10, 20 times just to get out of bed. I'd get up, it wouldn't feel right. I'd get back into bed, I'd roll over twice or three times. I'd get out again and it wouldn't feel right. And this would be just to start my day. And then I'd go into the bathroom and try to take a shower. I'd step in and out of the shower, maybe again, 10 or 20 times until it felt right. And I might use a half a bottle of shampoo one time in the shower uh, because I would wash my hair over and over and over again. I tell people I gave a whole new meaning to that rinse and repeat <laughs> language you hear on the back, you see on the back of a shampoo bottle. Yes. Um, so, um, you know, I just dealt with uh, those challenges. I didn't tell anyone. Um, and somehow I graduated from high school, college, and even got a master's degree eventually. I have no idea how I did that because um, my OCD also, um, you know, manifested itself in reading and writing because I would read the first page of a book or an assignment. And then I'd feel like I have to read it seven more times or eight more times. And so then I would turn and go to page two and I would feel like, nope, I've got to go back and read that first page again. So reading and writing, I would write notes in my notebook and then I'd cross them out and I'd write them again and I'd cross them out. It was all, you know, pretty tormenting. So I didn't do a lot of reading, but somehow I managed to... Uh, get on with my life somewhat. And I grew up in Bangor, was always interested in government and politics, wanted to help people in my career. That was my goal, help people. And uh, I thought, well, you know, I'm interested in government and politics. Maybe I can help people through that kind of work. And um, I grew up very near the Baldacci family in Bangor. And so in 1994, when John Baldacci ran for Congress for the first time, he asked if I'd help with his campaign, which I did. And then I became his communications director or his press secretary in Washington for eight years. And while I was there in 2001, September 11th, the terrorist attacks occurred and my OCD and anxiety went completely out of control. I was right there on Capitol Hill. I say, I tell people right next to that big domed building where we thought the next plane might be headed. Um, and you know, you could already see smoke kind of billowing up from the Pentagon across the, the way in Arlington, Virginia. And my wow. symptoms just went completely out of control. Um, and the very next day, I went out to dinner with a co-worker and we drank a lot of wine. Um, and almost immediately, I realized I need this. This will help to calm my symptoms. Again, I, you know, I still couldn't tell anyone about the mental illnesses, but I had found medicine, um, which, you know, it worked for a while. I didn't need to drink much because I was not um, much of a drinker. So a glass or two of uh, whatever I could stomach because I didn't like the taste of alcohol uh, would do the trick. But over time, with increased tolerance came increased quantity and increased frequency of drinking. And there were plenty of alcoholics, people suffering from alcoholism in my extended family, not my immediate family, but on both sides of my, uh, you know, parents, my mother and father's side, there were alcoholics. And but I did. I wasn't paying attention to that at the time. And um, not long into my drinking, I, I definitely became an alcoholic. I don't think it took very long, but I kept that a secret, too. So now I'm going through life 
uh, concealing my mental illnesses, my self-medicating with alcohol, and that I become an alcoholic. And um, my career continued. I went back and worked in the governor's office. And then I was asked to be Maine's chief deputy secretary of state. Um, in that capacity, ironically, I, you know, I talked to a lot of people who wanted their driver's license back. They had lost it because of an OUI and they would contact the secretary of state's office and they would oftentimes get me and uh, I would talk to them and, and they would say, you know, I'm going to keep driving. I live in Ellsworth and my job's in Bangor and we don't have much public transportation. I'm going to get there. I'm going to keep driving. And I would say, oh, don't do that. Because if you keep driving, you'll probably get an OAS, operating after suspension. And then right. if you continue to drive, you'll likely get an OAR operating after your license has been revoked. And then um, if you continue, you'll become a habitual offender and you'll lose your license for six years. Well, when I was saying all those things, I had not had my first encounter with law enforcement, but I knew I was drinking too much. And ultimately, I became the poster child of what can happen when you allow those things to snowball. I am currently in the middle of my six-year license suspension as a habitual offender. Um, and my first encounter with law enforcement started, uh, oh, about nine years ago. And when that happened, I thought, well, you know, I know lots and lots of reporters in Maine. I was the governor's press secretary and a congressman's press secretary. I was deputy secretary of state. So I thought there'd be a small news story in my Everyone would find out and my job would end and my family would, uh, you know, learn what had been happening. But that sure. didn't occur. Uh, no one found out about my first arrest or my second or my third or my fourth or my fifth. <laughs> um, I somehow, I guess, had a skill or a knack for bailing myself out of jail, making up stories as to why I didn't come home. Um, but it all Finally, finally, and thank goodness it did. It all came crumbling down three years ago um, on October 23rd. So just, just a few days after, uh, just a few days beyond three years ago, um, I went to jail for 136 days. That's four and a half months or 20 weeks. Wow. Or, or almost 3,400 hours if you're keeping track. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, I resigned my job at that point. I was a deputy commissioner in a, in a different uh, state agency and I resigned that job. And it was the most fascinating experience of my life. Those 136 days in jail, it opened my eyes to so many problems and issues, including, you know, um, the fact that we need to do more to help people who are suffering from substance use disorders and mental health challenges uh, as I was. The, um, the one part of my story that I, I skipped over, which is so important, is that not long before I went to jail uh, for four and a half months, I finally privately hauled myself into a mental health counseling agency in Bangor. Um, I contacted the state of Maine's EAP, employee assistance program and got connected to a mental health uh, treatment agency in Bangor. So I finally uh, hauled myself in because I knew everything was so out of control. And I started on two medicines for OCD and anxiety, and they work well. 
uh, but I couldn't stop drinking. So today I just let those medicines do their trick. And I encourage people to speak up about your mental health issues. If you're having any kind of problem, uh, please, you know, get help. And, and when you can, tell your story so that other people understand that mental health problems, um, substance use disorders, all of that, um, uh, you know, uh, affects people from all walks of life. And uh, we have to stop being, um, uh, you know, um, reluctant. We need to, you know, tell our stories. And by doing so, you know, break down some bar barriers and, and help to reduce stigma that we all hear so much about. So um, I, I finally, you know, um, when I went to jail and since, I just let the medicine, uh, uh, you know, do its do its thing. My OCD and anxiety will never go away totally, I don't believe, because they're so much a part of, um, you know, my whole life. Right. Um, but I, um, I, I left uh, jail after those 136 days to go into the Penobscot County Drug Court program. And I graduated uh, a year ago this past May after 15 months in drug court, which is about the amount of time it it, it takes. Some people are in drug court a little longer than that, but drug courts are not for everyone, but they worked for me. And, um, and I'm fortunate that, uh, you know, a good friend of mine uh, gave me this chance to work at Eastern Maine Development Corporation. Um, he learned of my new passion for helping people in recovery and those reentering from jails and prisons and uh, gave me this opportunity. So I've been with EMDC for about a year and a half now. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, I remember one of the most powerful parts of your story when I heard it um, was you made the statement that you're one of the few people who have had dinner at both the White House and Penobscot Jail. Um, and yeah. that, that that's a powerful statement. And I so appreciate the fact that you're so open with your story, um, because I do think that especially addiction is still clouded in stigma. And until we can move that aside and recognize that it happens to people from all walks of life, all education levels, all backgrounds, um, then we're not going to make real progress. So you've, you've definitely helped move that meter ahead in this area. Now, another part of your story, um, when I initially heard it, that really struck me, and it told me a lot about what kind of person you are, is that while you were in jail, you weren't just passively there. You were looking around and you were taking note of the ways that people in that situation could be better served. And then once you came out and you were able to get this job with Eastern Maine Development Corporation, one of the very first things you did was work really hard on a workforce grant that would help to address some of those barriers. So can you talk a little bit about the process and then what that grant looks like? Because it, it directly affects the Deer Isle Stonington community in a pretty amazing way. Yeah, well, once I uh, came to realize that I was gonna be in jail for more than a night or so, I decided, you know, I'm gonna learn as much as I can about everyone. And by everyone, I mean the people who worked in the jail, the people who volunteered in the jail, um, 
and of course the uh, the residents or the inmates. Um, and I was just fascinated by the stories. And in terms of the inmates, you know, inevitably there was a a health issue of one kind or another. There was addiction, there was mental illness, there had been significant events that we now talk about as trauma. And so I realized that I was not in jail with a bunch of hardened criminal, evil to the core kind of people. I was in jail with people who were sick and who needed help. I needed help. They needed help. I say to people, you know, you don't find the healthy and the wealthy in jail. Now, addiction impacts the wealthy, of course, but you don't find them in jail. You find in jail the poor and the sick. Um, the wealthy bail themselves out. Yeah. Sad, sadly, uh, the, the poor suffer the punishment, whether they're guilty or not, of staying in jail until their court case plays out because they can't come up with the money to bail themselves out. That's a, that's a topic for another day, perhaps, but it, it, it is a passion of mine that we punish people in our criminal legal system in ways that I never paid attention to. Um, but I kept thinking of these people I was in jail with, who is connecting them with resources and services? Many of them knew they needed help, but had just never found the help. And it's not easy in in society to sort of navigate. If you you know if you're poor and you haven't had you know many chances in life, you know you need help. But how do you get mental health care? Where do you turn? It's not easy. And um, how to sign up for benefits from the government? It's not easy. We don't make things really easy. So I kept thinking, who's connecting these people? Mm -hmm. And uh, and when I got out of jail and started working at Eastern Maine Development Corporation, uh, as you said, one of the first assignments that came my way, uh, almost as though it was uh, <laughs> uh, sent from heaven or or something like that, sure. I was asked. Yeah, I was helped. I was asked to help write a grant proposal on behalf of the Maine Department of Labor and Eastern Maine Development Corporation to the U.S. government to the federal uh, Department of Labor. Um, and request uh, between six and seven million dollars um, to support uh, 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 addressing the opioid crisis. And when I was in jail and then when I was in drug court, I learned so much about other substances, particularly opioids. My issue was with alcohol, but so many people that I met uh, while incarcerated and in drug court, you know, were dealing we're in recovery or trying to be in recovery from opiate use disorder. So this uh, uh, federal opportunity became available and we had to make the case that there was a problem in Maine. And of course there is Maine ranks sadly among the worst states in the country in so many categories related to the opioid crisis. Um, so we were able to certainly prove that there was a problem and then we had to develop a plan and show how we would use the money effectively. 
And we submitted the grant proposal about a year ago in the fall of last year. And just about the time COVID arrived, we learned that Maine was getting this money, which is great. But then we had to figure out how do we roll out and ramp up this program in the midst of a pandemic. Um, we had plans to sort of personally visit with all sorts of uh, treatment providers and recovery centers and sober living homes and whatnot, but we couldn't do that. So um, we now are uh, aggressively, though a little delayed, um, signing up people for this uh, new initiative, which is called Connecting with Opportunities. And it's called that, it's titled that because again, uh, when I was in jail, I kept thinking, who's connecting these people? And one day the uh, the grant proposal, the application needed a title. And so I immediately wrote down connecting with opportunities, um, thinking back to my time in jail and knowing what we were gonna be doing with this money, which was you know, connecting people with education, training, employment, and supportive services to make it possible uh, for them to, to, to make that journey through education and training and into employment. I can only imagine that must have been one of those pinch me moments where you're looking at this grant application and you get to put that name on it and you think back to just a few months before when you were looking around the jail and looking at the what needed to be done and then all of a sudden you're on the side that's working on it that that must have been an amazing feeling however yeah. i i know that you didn't just take yourself through this journey but you actually identified some people that were in your drug court program who now work really closely with you at emdc in administering this grant program so i i always think that's a wonderful touch that it wasn't just about you and you got out and now you're doing work, but you brought these people along with you um, that are really, they're the voices that we need in all of our programs um, because they're the voices that have experienced it and they know what it's like um, on both sides of the coin. So that's wonderful. Now tell me more about these opportunities. So let's say that I call EMDC and I say, I would like to take advantage of the Connecting with Opportunities grant. What's gonna happen? What does that mean for me? What do I need to do um, to put, put myself in a place to qualify? Just give us any kind of information you can about how that grant directly affects someone who wants those services. Sure, and I'm glad you mentioned the uh my friends who are now my coworkers who were in the drug court program with me, part of this um, proposal and, and now this program wa uh, was uh, the hiring of peer connectors, we're calling them peers, people in you know recovery themselves from opioid use disorder. And they are critically important to our teams we have now teams of people who support each participant and each of those teams includes a peer. And yeah, I was so happy to, to tell uh, folks graduating from drug court that there were some opportunities for them to yeah. work and to put, their, to put their lived experience into play to help other people. So yeah, two of my, two people I met in drug court are now my coworkers, they're called peer connectors um, and uh, they're doing a great job 
of helping people to register for uh, this program, and then they're supporting them every step of the way. So we've made it very, very simple. You just need to email or call us, and I can give you that contact information at some point. Great, There's, and we'll put it we'll put it in the show notes as well, so it'll be oh, great right there for anyone listening. Excellent, and there is not an application. Um, we uh, yeah, no, just get in touch with us, and what we typically do is set up a a brief Zoom session to uh, meet sort of face-to-face and um, have a short conversation about what the initiative is all about, what we do. Um, I or one of my coworkers will ask a couple of questions to make sure the person's eligible. And if they're not eligible for connecting with opportunities, I should note that EMDC also administers other workforce development programs. So if someone does not qualify for connecting with opportunities, they may well be eligible for one of the other programs. So we have oh, a brief, um, yeah, there are, yeah, there are a number of different uh, uh, ways we can help people. So usually a brief conversation through Zoom these days. And then mm-hmm. if the person appears to be eligible and wants to move forward, then they get connected with, uh, uh, someone else at EMDC who does the registrations. And that usually takes about 45 minutes. It's done again through Zoom. And then we start building a plan for each participant. And um, I always use this, this example. If somebody wanted to be a truck driver, and we need truck drivers, actually. We, in Maine and nationally, there's a deficiency, a deficit of, uh, of commercial truck drivers. So if someone came to us, in the plan, we would we would list that, he or she needs to uh, take and complete, pass the CDL course, the commercial driver's license course. Uh, but we know that this person needs help reading because we did an assessment, a reading assessment. And um, so in the plan, we might also put that the individual needs to take a very short-term adult education reading course. We know to make, to make that possible, uh, this individual needs a laptop computer, we also know that none of this will happen if he or she doesn't have help with childcare. So childcare will go in the plan. And then there's a budget that goes along with it. So we'll pay for the CDL course, the adult education class, the laptop. Uh, we'll assign a certain amount of money for childcare. And uh, so we developed this plan and it's adjusted as, as time goes on, but there are plenty of resources, not only for education and training programs, but for supportive services, we don't want someone to, you know, register with us, get started, and then have a bump in the road, derail everything. So we set money aside for things like transportation, childcare, technology, um, perhaps even uh, some money for emergency housing if something happened. So we want to be able to really ensure success to the best of our abilities. Uh, by making sure that life challenges along the way don't sidetrack everything and and don't end the process. Um, And then, as I said, importantly, um, each participant gets that team of people, including a peer who understands what recovery is all about and and is there to help. So plenty of resources, caring people who want to help, and we make the process really simple. 
you know, an email or a phone call just to say, hey, I'd like to learn more about that connecting with opportunities or any program that you have that helps with education training or, uh, you know, directly into employment. Wow. I'm, I just, every single time I hear you talk about that program, it just, it seems too good to be true. And I know that it isn't, it's real. Um, and that you're actually searching for people to apply. So I will put all of your information in the show notes so that people can reach out, they can refer people. Um, just a couple of little housekeeping questions about it. Um, do you have to be a specific age in order to take advantage of this program? Um, no, and in fact, we have a, a separate youth uh, program that's for people ages 16 to 24. Um, I, I believe our Connecting with Opportunities is for individuals 18 and older. I, I should know that. I, I, okay. I, I, I am pretty sure it's 18 and over, but we, but we do have this separate um, youth program for people 16 to 24. So if anyone is age, age 16 to 116 <laughs> and feels as though they need support and help, um, they, they're encouraged to contact us. It can't do any harm to get in touch with us and it might do a lot of good. And the, um, the eligibility issue with connecting with opportunities that I should mention is that the, the pot of money that is funding it from the US Department of Labor is dedicated to the unemployed. So okay. uh, to, to qualify, for connecting with opportunities, you need to be unemployed. And that means you're either long-term unemployed, meaning you haven't worked in 27 or more weeks, about a half a year, or you're dislocated from a job more recent than that through no fault of your own. You know, um, sadly, because of COVID, there are a lot of dislocated workers. Uh, they, you know, they were working in a restaurant or a hotel or any number of businesses or organizations that downsized or closed. So if you're dislocated, um, which also means you're eligible for unemployment uh, or you received unemployment for a while and it ran out, um, then you are eligible for connecting with opportunities. So you're long-term unemployed, 27 or more weeks, or you're a dislocated worker, which means you were eligible for or collected unemployment. So, but I, again, I tell people, even if you don't think that that uh, matches with your background, we also have other programs that are for people who are working, but are making very little money. So whether you're uh, among the working poor or you're unemployed, you should take the time and contact me or others here at Eastern Maine Development Corporation. Absolutely. So when in doubt, make the call. And worst case scenario, um, it, this particular program may, may not be something you qualify for, but because you made the call, Eastern Maine Development Corporation may have another program um, that you could directly benefit from. So definitely listeners, take that information down. Um, if you have someone in your life that could benefit, pass that information along.
Um, Doug, what do you wish more people knew about re-entering the workforce while they're in recovery? Well, um, sort of related to that, one of my concerns or what I would like more business owners and hiring managers to know is that people in recovery can be outstanding employees. There is research that says individuals in uh, stable recovery are actually more productive, they use less sick time, uh, and are just very good employees. So part of our work at Eastern Maine Development Corporation um, is to do some educating and try to uh, open more doors uh, for people who are in recovery and, and re-entering from jails and prisons. The, um, you know, um, as I said, you know, research studies show that they, that individuals like me, I'm three years into recovery now, uh, can be, uh, you know, very good employees and, um, and, and need opportunities. And so one of the ways that we try to convince more employers to um, give people a chance is through on-the-job trainings and work experiences that, we're that we are able to fund uh, through connecting with opportunities and our other workforce programs so that, um, you know, an employer might think, well, that Doug Dunbar, he seems like a nice enough guy, but we, we know he's had a history of, of drinking and driving and of alcoholism. But you know, EMDC is gonna pay for half of his salary if we take him on for an on-the-job training. So this will give us a chance to see how Doug does in the workplace and hopefully it'll work out and then we'll, we'll keep him on. Um, so we sort of incentivize employers to, to work with us and to work with our participants and give them a trial run. Uh, but, it, but we, you know, part of this overall effort is to, to change attitudes as well. Sure. So if I'm an employer in the Deer Isle Stonington area, can I reach out to you and get more information on that program where you help um, to pay portions of, sa of um, salaries for people who work for me? Is that, is that something that you have more information on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there are, there, are, there are some requirements, but yes, if you're an employer and you want to, you know, if you want uh, some help, but also if you want to just be part of a growing movement yeah. of employers who want to be, you know, who want to be uh, open and uh, try to make progress in our society uh, in this way. Yeah, get in touch with us because um, we, we look for more and more businesses all the time where we can place people in either an on-the-job training or something called a work experience, which is usually a shorter term, maybe two three months and we pay the entire salary and we stay in touch with our participant 
literally or almost every single day to make sure that they're getting there on time, that it's going well for both parties, both the employer and our participant. And again, we pay the full salary. So the employer uh, agrees to sort of show this individual what that type of business or what that type of job is all about. And yet they get labor from that participant and we pay the entire salary and we are there to support the individual every step of the way. So yeah, we need more businesses to be willing to step up and say, yeah, I think I'll, I think I'll try to be part of this effort, part of this movement. Um, And, you know, almost every family has been touched in one way or another by some sort of a substance use disorder, alcohol, you know, prescription medications, other drugs. You know, I don't know many families who who have not been directly or indirectly impacted. And so um, if you're a business owner or manager, you know, you probably know in your family, there have been people who have needed a second chance. And so, um, so we, yeah, we definitely need more businesses. They can contact, contact us. We'll explain it and we'll try to make it simple and develop a partnership. Great. So again, that information will be in the show notes. And if you are an employer who's interested in talking with EMDC, uh, go ahead and reach out and know that you're not only doing good um, in the immediate, but you're really building a a solid future because this is where we're headed is to to remove the stigma, um, to to really give a hand up and um, probably get an amazing employee in the process. And um, so that's that's such an exciting program, Doug. The work that you're doing just, it blows me away every single time we talk. Now, I usually kind of end the podcast. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I appreciate your, your interest and, and thank goodness that you and the other people you work with are doing what you're doing. I mean, I know you're working with, with law enforcement to, to give them uh, tools so that they can uh, hopefully divert some people from, from jail and get them pointed in a direction where they, where they can get help. I know you're, you know, you're, you're providing so much information to folks. And um, I think I told you that, particularly as a child, I used to spend a lot of time in Burnt Cove. Um, yes, I, yes. I grew up grew up in Bangor, but my neighbors had a camp in Burnt Cove. So I was down in Stonington, Deer Isle, Burnt Cove, a lot as a child. And I also told you that I was always afraid of the bridge. I was always I, afraid of going over the bridge. And I've told you, you do get used to it after a while, I promise <laughs> you. So if you make trips down, eventually... <laughs> barely even notice it. Okay, well. I'm, I'm I, promising you, but yes, it's I, it's a unique place. It's Oh, it's beautiful. I love oh, it. It's it, it's it's forever home for me. So it's Yeah. We're it's we're fantastic. so excited when we can bring programs like the one that you're you're running and the work that we do. Um it's just there's so much hope in recovery right now and so much work being done and when we get to showcase that, it's amazing. Now, I usually mm-hmm end the podcast by asking my guests if they could recommend that everyone listening read one book on whatever subject we're talking about. So today it can be recovery, it can be workforce, whatever you'd like. 
what book would you recommend and why do you recommend it? Well, you know, it's a, it's an interesting question. And to be honest with you, as I mentioned when I was telling you my long story of my life, reading yeah. was always tormenting for me. So I must say that even though on paper, I appear to have an excellent education, um, I am not well read because um, even to this day, even with the medicine that I take, it's, it's much better. Uh, but I tend to read short articles. And since I got out of jail two and a half years ago, I um, have consumed uh, a ton of podcasts and short yeah. articles about the criminal legal system, about um, addiction, about recovery. But I have not in my life read many books. One book that I did read, and I read it twice, the second time I read it in jail, when I was boarded out to Two Bridges Regional Jail in Wiscasset, which has a terrific library, and I reread um, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by yeah. Dr. Stephen Covey. Um, and it's just a pretty good book about managing life and um, building good relationships. And I think it's uh, appropriate for anyone. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I did read it twice. It's the only book I've ever read twice. Um, and there are, but there are a lot of TED Talks that I, that I uh, love listening to. I started, you know, um, re tuning into TED Talks when I got out of jail as well. And there's a, um, there's a fascinating researcher, um, Johan Hari, last name H-A-R-I, and he has one TED talk about depression and another one about addiction. And uh, he's become sort of famous for the expression, the opposite of addiction is connection. Yeah. Um, and I don't, know, I don't recall if that's the title of his podcast, but Johan, which is spelled, I believe, J-O-H-A-N-N, -N, last name Hari, H-A-R-I, he has two TED Talks, at least two, and I think they're fascinating. And he has a very uh, uh, nice <laughs> accent. So he's, he's, he's easy to listen to, I think. So I would recommend, I would recommend those TED Talks and any other TED Talks, um, uh, you know, that, uh, that are uh, along your interest lines, whatever is interesting to you. So not many books, but okay. uh, a lot of TED Talks, short articles, and podcasts. I love it. You can always recommend podcasts. We love getting the pitch yes. for podcasts. Doug, it has been a pleasure to talk yeah, with this you is today. Great. Um, I am just, as I said before, I am blown away by the work that you and your teammates are doing. Um, as a person, each time that I've heard your story, I it just gets more interesting to me. Um, and I'm so proud of the work that you're doing. I'm so proud that the of the work that you have done. And honestly, I feel like... Um, I'm so privileged to get a front row seat to see where you're going from here um, because you are going to do amazing things. So thank you so much for sitting with me and um, I'll wish you the best, but I will well, be right in the front you. seat clapping for you. Yeah, well, we, and thank you, Anne, but we, and we need these, these types of partnerships with your 
uh, in foundation and with uh, uh, treatment providers and businesses um, in Deer Isle, Stonington, throughout Hancock County and, and throughout the state. So it's all about partnerships and relationships. So I'm so glad to, to know you and thank well, you for the time. It's my pleasure. You have a great day. Thank you, Ann. Bye-bye.